When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Sarah Yost about her contemporary novel, One Last Chance. Sarah was born and grew up in Switzerland and moved to the UK in 2008 to learn English for a year and somehow didn't manage to leave. She now works as a French teacher and pastoral manager in a girls' school and lives in Buckinghamshire with her husband and Golden Shepherd. In this episode, we discuss writing as a non-native speaker, the challenges of writing a time-loop love story, and how Sarah tries to practice what she calls writer's mindfulness to cope with the challenges of being published. But first, here's Sarah with an excerpt from One Last Chance. Monday, 15th of July, 2019. Baby elephants can die of loneliness. I'm hiding at the darker end of the room and its village pub erected so close to the church that either would crumble without the other. I sneaked out after the service, now at the wake, while I wait anxiously for somebody to come and ask how I knew Nick. I didn't, not really. I'm reviewing my life and regrets, basking in the proximity of death like a chicken roasting in its own juices, compressing the past four years of my life into my brain, trying to figure out where it's all gone wrong. Time is a funny thing, I tell Yuki when she returns. She went to offer her condolences to the family, all huddled together in the bay window. She leans next to me against the bar. The voices around us are muffled, the carpet dappled in burning puddles of sun. There's a garden out there, full of grass and flowers and cats, but it must have been deemed too hot, too cheery for the occasion. Or nobody could stand to be judged by cats today, and I can't blame them. Yuki checks her glass, which still stands empty where she left it. Was I supposed to get her another drink? Be her funeral wing woman? She sighs as she orders, the tips of her fingers drumming on the bar. Her nail polish is unusually flaky, like the paint of those neglected houses by the seaside. That's all I seem to be able to see in England nowadays. The crumbling plaster, the burst fast food bags, the electric wires threatening to come loose. Yeah, I know what you mean, Lou, she says. If only we could back and see Nick again. Of course, I say. Yuki's eyes are deep, slightly swollen, ringed with eyeliner, gone blurry. I mean, this is such a tragedy. But, go on, I know you have something on your mind. I can't stop thinking I've messed up my life. Oh, mate, you and me both. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, One Last Chance. Hi, Chloe. Thank you very much for having me. So, Sarah, can you start by introducing your novel for us and tell us what One Last Chance is about? So One Last Chance is a time loop love story. Um, the main character is uh, Louise Lou. She's a Swiss national living in the UK. She's been there for a couple of years. And at the start of the novel, she is attending the funeral of a friend of a friend. 
and that really makes her kind of think about her life and the decision she made to uh, to move to the UK. And she finds that she's actually not really progressed or made connections, and she's feeling really kind of low at that point. Um, then she finds out that her ex in Switzerland, who she is still kind of um, in love with, uh, has got engaged, and that kind of spirals a kind of time seizure one could say that comes with almost like a panic attack uh, feeling of uh, intense regrets uh, and worries about the future. And she goes back in time to two years ago when she feels she might have kind of missed the opportunity to change her life. So it is a kind of time loop love story that is about um, those five times that she goes back in time and the different uh, choices she she makes along the way. Mm-hmm. And she goes back to... Uh the birthday party of her friend and flatmate and there's just I can remember a very brilliant scene where she's got this ginormous fruit basket that she's trying to kind of hide because she realizes at that precise moment what a disastrous gift that is to bring (laughs) to a birthday party especially in a pub on a Friday or Saturday night yeah absolutely but I think that tells you what what you need to to know about Lou. She's well intentioned, but she's really awkward. She second guesses everything, ends up making really awkward choices, and not really stand by them at the beginning. Um, so she's really struggling to to communicate, you know, her, her her love and 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 friendship for her friend in the right way. And she just gets so caught up in her head, full of anxiety, that she she ends up just making yeah getting in those uh, quite uh, tricky and awkward situations <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk us through where the inspiration came from for this novel was there a moment where you can kind of pin it all back to was there a kind of a lightning bolt for you or did it come to you over a long period of time what was the what was the kind of moment of inspiration for you yeah, I, I wish I could say that it was um, a light bulb moment. I mean, I remember one conversation with my um, now husband in the in the car. I had just written um, the first draft of another novel that was um, set in Iceland and really kind of dark about domestic abuse and stuff like that. And I was feeling really depressed because there's no sunlight there and everything was dark and damp and, and sad. Um, and... I just kind of turned to him and I said, maybe I want to write something a bit lighter, a bit more closer to home, something that I can, you know, kind of um, where I can be more sympathetic or empathetic with the main character, understand her more and something maybe a little bit uh, happier. Um, So, yes, I decided to write a, a love story at that point. And I'd always been interested in how our mental health affects our perception of time and that idea of anxiety and of being trapped in regrets in the past and trapped in the future and your worries and kind of what would happen if if a character was so anxious that that actually triggered um, a time loop for them so that's how it kind of come came together um i kind of yeah mixed the two concepts of um an exploration of mental health in that way and uh and wanting to write a love story and putting a character who is really fundamentally anxious in the worst possible situation for her where something you know really difficult happens and she has to face it Mm. over and over again potentially yeah and I'm guessing by the sounds of this that you have written several novels in the past or at least attempted to finish and write novels did you have a moment then when this one felt like it was the right fit for you or you kind of thought I'm getting some sort of tingly feelings of this has potential did you did you feel that with this book I think it did I think it felt a bit um maybe more personal than the other books um it was obviously a a contemporary um kind of storyline so it felt a bit more kind of immediate to my own experience I decided to have a main character that's quite close to myself in terms of um, certainly that idea of being an expat and having kind of uprooted your life and uh, and gone to another country and having to come to find your identity and and find your your a life for for yourself there, um, feeling a bit trapped between two two countries, two choices, and the people you left behind and the new people you meet. So I think that that felt really quite authentic for me. I think um, and that is what made me 
really stick with this story and really start working on it. Um, I also ended up um, applying and getting into the, the Curtis Brown three months course with the, the opening of that novel. So I got the opportunity, the amazing opportunity to work on it, to workshop it with um, my my 14 teammates, um, course mates and uh, Charlotte Mendelssohn as well, who is amazing. So I ended up working much more seriously on this one than I had ever done before. So it was kind of those circumstances of believing the story, but then getting that boost of, of getting on the course and, and suddenly having people believing it in it as well and carrying me through it, through that draft, which really helped me. Yeah, almost kind of giving you that validation that it's doing yeah. with. It's yeah, hard. and I think especially as a as a non-native speaker, I had no idea mm. whether I was writing gibberish in a, a language that wasn't really mine, whether that made any sense or whether it sounded odd. And you know, it was it was amazing to to get the the feedback, especially the first passage that we um that we workshopped I was amazed that people were not saying like what is this word or like you misunderstood my language completely you know it was great to get really encouraging responses on it um have you written in I don't know what your first language is have you have you French. written <laughs> French yeah have you written yeah. in French um I did I wrote a lot when I was a teenager so mm -hmm. I started when I was about 10 you know I wrote in um in school exercise books and uh, I used to write novels so it would be like about three a four exercise books together and give it to my friends so I wrote a lot in in French I did a lot of um, competitions for young authors in my teenage years as well um, and I got a few prizes and got to kind of meet other young authors who wrote in French and from you know Belgium and France and um, the Ivory Coast and like amazing places wow. so I got that experience but um, once I started going to uni I stopped writing um, fiction writing creatively until I finished my my master's so that was quite a few a few years where I did a bit more academic writing um, and then I moved to the UK uh, right after my studies and that's when I thought well, I'm just going to learn English first <laughs> from scratch um, I didn't know English at all before uh, so that was the idea was to do something completely different um, and obviously it took me a few years until I, I felt confident or I felt even the impulse to uh, mm. to start writing again yeah so that was quite quite the journey to get to this stage yeah it blows my mind it really does I I, um, I was absolutely hopeless at languages at school and and the fact to to come over and, and learn a whole new language and be able to write so beautifully in it is just mm. you know that is that is a, a whole skill in itself, Sarah. I mean, it's it's very commendable. Um, it was it was it a different experience, like kind of writing in English, where you, maybe there were I'm, I'm, I imagine there's there's words that you want to use that are French that then you're like, there's no mm. equivalent. Yeah, it's so interesting because I've lived here for now 15 years. So I think and speak English. I know I still don't really sound like a native speaker, but for me, I'm almost more proficient now in English mm. because of, I think your your 20s are so formative that I kind of spent, you know, half of my 20s and, and most of my 30s in the UK. So I kind of grew so much with the language that I almost developed a whole new kind of range of range of emotions attached to the words in English so I kind of couldn't really write in French anymore but I've I've thought a lot about that now because um, the French translation of my book has just come out in in France and I've had a lot of questions from really bemused friends who were like so is it you who wrote the translation but it's your first language and no I'm not you know I didn't translate my own book I don't think I could actually do it <laughs> because of all the idioms and all the expressions yeah. and as you say you think and you kind of feel and your characters feel with the words that they have available and um if I, I I just knew if I even tried to to translate some of it it would get very frustrating and very annoying for me so I was like best leave it to the professionals and I did a, a really amazing job but yeah it's um I think English is now my my writing language I don't think mm. I could go back to to French and even now I second guess so much of what I write in French even on you know social media I'm just like is it just translated from English or is it actually natural in French I think I find that completely fascinating that it can be my first language but it's it's become a, a little bit more remote from from me mm -hmm. and less immediate or less authentic for me potentially mm -hmm. 
have mm. you picked up your French edition and had and had a read of it? Not yet. Uh, <laughs> no, not yet. But it's literally just come out. So I've seen, I've started to see pictures from uh, friends and family who have seen it in um, Snap. Oh, wow. Nice. Kind yeah. of um, highlighted. So um, I need to, to chase up to get a copy from my publisher, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but yeah, it is quite it is quite a strange experience mm, to read yourself mm. back through somebody else's words yeah, in your yeah. own language. Yeah. I can imagine, I can imagine that's that's fascinating. Mm. I wanted to touch on something you actually mentioned about um your main character, Lou, because obviously she shares some similarities with you. The main one being that she's also Swiss and living in the UK and, and has done for a while. Were there aspects of that experience that you really wanted to write about because I suppose it's quite a quite a unique situation that we don't read often in in novels Mm. yeah I think there's a lot in the book that I wanted to uh, to mention Um, I mean there's we talked about the language aspect and she uses a few French words here and there I don't want to scare anybody off of the book but a few uh, words so she's kind of using the most fitting word when um, when she needs something in French. And she's kind of, um, in her language, she's a bit between the two places. I think the main thing was for me to, to show the experience of being torn between two places. And it's not something that is really deep uh, in terms of cultural, maybe, because England and Switzerland, you know, quite quite similar um countries in some ways um but i think it was that idea of the the people you leave behind the choice you make of leaving your family um and all of my family is still in in switzerland and i've got a, a brand new niece as well so that's made things even more you know i'm not there to see her grow up and i have to kind of go back to to see her it's you're leaving your people behind and they live the life that you've always known them to have but suddenly your life is very different and it can't always relate to to that even if they come and visit you they feel you've kind of left they don't really understand your choice because that's not the one they've made but you also want to kind of build a new life and you find yourself in a country where you don't have any university friends you know you don't have any of those connections you would normally have you can't call your dad when you're 24 and you break down (laughs) on the motorway that kind of stuff so yeah, I thought that was quite interesting for me to to explore in terms of human connections. And you know, I say it's a love story. It is. There's definitely a romantic love story at the heart of the book. But for me, it is a story of connection with all the kind of different loves you have in your life: your family, your your sister, your best friend, or the friends you might make. You might make. Um, and I thought that was really important to to show somebody wrestling with that and there's no easy solution it's not that one choice was necessarily better but it's it's the choice you're making and kind of sticking to it and working on it and building building your connections wherever you decide to be I think that was quite interesting for me to explore let's touch a little bit on that love story then between (laughs) Nick and Lou because I often think people think and it's particularly because it's kind of genre snobbery that you know, writing love stories or romance stories are are easy. And um, any of us that have attempted it will know that it's not. Um, mm. But obviously you've had to create this chemistry between Nick and Lou and in multiple scenarios as well, because we're meeting them at several, you know, different times and different chances. So how did you build this love story? Tell us about that kind of connection and chemistry on the pa- on the paper. I think it's so interesting that you're asking that because I generally thought I'm just going to write a love story easy you know that bit it's fine the time loop is going to be the hard one to figure out and and then I sat down and I said I said to my my husband I was like what actually makes people fall in love I have no idea (laughs) what how why do we fall in love with somebody and not somebody else it's not because of stuff you can you know list on paper necessarily I mean you have values and common values and common dreams and aspirations maybe common um hobbies and stuff like that but fundamentally I just realized I had no idea how to (laughs) to write it how to show it but I think what I did was to have two characters who had were quite complementary uh in a way I think who bring out the best of each other when they meet um I think for me, Nick was really important to get right as a romantic kind of lead, romantic partner. 
And fundamentally, I just wanted him to be a nice guy. I wanted him to be what I found attractive in in a partner, which is somebody who listens generally to the person in front of them, um, gives them kind of space, uh, gets under uh, maybe sometimes their, their, their quirks or their kind of um, anxieties as well. Um, and somebody who is just nice and, and generous. Um, but I don't like the trope of, you know, when you've got one of the, the partners in the in the book, in the rom-com, who is really, really annoying and pushes somebody else away all the time. And then the other person keeps coming back. And you're like, well, in real life, you would kind of take the message and maybe just be like, okay, I, I got it. You're not, or, you know, you're a bit annoying or you're just not really for me. So I wanted to show that Lou, when she approaches Nick, Nick for the first time, she's not really thinking about him. So she kind of doesn't have all those um hang up so she doesn't have those moments of kind of thinking about how she's going to to present herself to him or trying to um to make him like her she just goes as she is um and she kind of struts up to him and asks him for for advice and she has her mind completely on something else so she really lets her guard down with him and i think that shows him something a lot more kind of sparky and and quirky and sweet and interesting that maybe she presents herself when she feels that she really needs to be to be liked by other people so I just wanted to it was really important for me that that she approached him and he kind of saw something in her but he was also holding something back from her that she needs to to find out uh, as she give him gives him more space uh, yeah. as well so she has to learn to listen to him as well so I kind of made that little story on on the different steps they take together to to uncover their their authentic selves and to to support each other in that way, but they bring the best uh, out of each other. I think mm. that's a very long answer to, <laughs> to your no, no, simple you're, question. You're, but <laughs> you're absolutely right, and I think, um, like you say, it is it is harder than it looks, and I think it is about kind of uncovering those um, those things within within our characters that are or hidden and that only they know, but that their partner mm. has got to somehow discover or bring out um, yeah. I think falling in love is a yeah bringing them out under their shell or whatever it is yeah I think falling in love is a process of opening up isn't it mm-hmm. and I think the idea of that time loop was amazing in that way because it enables them to open up more and more every time they kind of redo things to kind of find out different things yeah in each other and and little clues as to what might happen in it might have happened in their past kind of come come to life and start making sense and I think that was great I mean the opportunity to redo your your relationship over and over again until you you kind of know each other so well that you're kind of ready to to really start is, is yeah. quite amazing I think tell us more about this time loop then because so much fun I love time loop stories I, I just there I kind of find them the whole idea of them just completely fascinating and addictive to read, although I have never attempted to write one because it just seems so hard. So, te- <laughs> so tell uh, tell us about how you um, kind of made all the rules and decided, because obviously every chance is slightly different and there are mm. changes that, that take place. Um, how did you kind of make each chance compelling enough so that the reader wasn't just like, oh, well, I know, you know, I know what's going to happen here or I've seen this scene before. Um, tell us about how you kind of created that aspect. I think I made, I made things easier for myself by giving myself a bit of a longer loop. So it's about two years. It depends. Sometimes she goes back a bit earlier. But it wasn't a Groundhog Day where the, it's the same day over and over again, which I know some people do really, really well. Mm. But that would have really scared me. Um, so I had the opportunity for Lou to live in different places to kind of, you know, go back to Switzerland. She ends up much further afield at some point as well. Um, so that was really good because I had a lot of time to play with and she had really time to make different choices and and see them pan out. Um, I was really naive about it, to be honest with you, Chloe. I just kind of just threw myself into it and started putting dates down and I didn't know which dates to put down. So I kind of used my family's birthdays and I was like, well, something will happen on that date in August. <laughs> what is it? And then I just started writing. So then I knew the key beats of um, of her story. There's obviously a, a couple of Christmases. There's like a, the funeral of her, of her grandmother, for example, and kind of there's a really important day in March and kind of where she is. Um, 
and then I just started seeing where where she might be in that loop and where she might end up, what could happen on those specific days. Um, I didn't find that aspect that difficult, but what was hard and what I really worked on with my editors was to make sure that what happened in one loop was the you know the the reason why she made the decisions that changed the next loop um so it was that kind of coherence and that um chain of cause and consequence um that I had to really make sure that I got that I got right so that was the harder bit otherwise yeah. I had I just had the scenes and I just wrote them as they were but just linking it all together make sure it was part of a proper uh journey of of change for her um and it was all coherent was much harder Mm. did you have kind of rules that you set for yourself because I'm I'm kind of trying to avoid spoilers here (laughs) Uh, it's difficult without being spoilery (laughs) um there are let's say I want to say like leak within the chances where she might not be the only one that feels like she's experienced this time before Mm. that makes sense to you with being vague as possible um how did you kind of decide all those rules was it something that you just felt like you needed characters to shift kind of with her emotionally Mm -hmm. I think I tried to mainly make it that her attitude and her outlook and the way she is with other characters is the main catalyst for the change in other characters. But mm-hmm. you're right, there's another character, especially that I think if you read to the end of the book and then you go back, you kind of think, oh, actually, there were clues there that, you know, she's not necessarily the only one who's experiencing something uh, to do with her timeline. That came a bit later. That was almost like um, an extra that I kind of added in once I had that mm-hmm. that idea that that could um that could work in. But I think the main thing was to try and make sure that changes in other characters, for example, her sister and her best friend, didn't just come out of the blue. Um, and for example, the first time that she goes back, the first day she's as you as you said at her her best friend's um, birthday party and she brings that awesome but really awkward massive fruit basket as a present because she needed it and I kind of played with the way that she presents that present and the way Mm. she is with her best friend gives her a completely different reaction to the gift but it was quite tricky to try and make sure that it wasn't just because she's back and it has to be different that her best friend suddenly has a completely different attitude towards her so that was that was quite tricky um but yeah I, I i'm really fascinated with the idea of of time being um again linked to how we're feeling emotionally and and our mental health and and some um you know some illnesses we might have like anxiety and depression and stuff like that so other characters who might experience and i think they all at some point go through different things that might also affect their their perception of time themselves i think mm. I'd love to talk a little bit more Sarah about your kind of writing process in general because Mm -hmm. I know you have a very intense job which takes (laughs) up a lot of your time and uh, I wondered how you fit your your time to write really around your day job Mm, with great difficulty is Mm -hmm. the answer which I'm sure a lot of people with demanding jobs will say um or any any job really full stop I think writing as 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 you know is is so demanding I think I think people don't always understand that it's not about the hours it's not about the the you know the, the there is a physical exhaustion to it as well but it's like the cerebral exhaustion and the mm. emotional exhaustion of it so even if you had even if you, I had like nine hours I could do it in a day as as I've, I've just done it during my school holidays I've kind of had to uh, turn a turn out a new draft um I can't write those many hours so it just takes so much that in two or three hours in a day you're kind of exhausted you've given everything you had to give well certainly in my case I know everybody's a bit different so coming back from a really difficult um well a really demanding teaching job I'm really lucky that I work in an amazing school, but it's very demanding as well. There's a lot of pressures on me. Um, I'm part of the the pastoral team as well. So there's that whole other aspect to the teaching and 
delivery of lessons is that you have to kind of support academically and emotionally a lot of young people who come and bring their issues to you and you have to kind of try to coach them through it so coming back after you know nine ten hours of this and then having to kind of sit down and do a thousand words it's really really hard um I haven't found the right way to do it um I do it when I have to for a deadline and I do it because I'm scared of not meeting my deadline if I kind of um drop the ball basically but um it's yeah it's really really difficult I find the first draft easier to do just bash, bashing out a thousand words is fine but it's when it really gets tough and you have to turn that into a proper book um the editing process I find really really hard so I try to use my school holidays to do it uh, but that means I don't really get a holiday <laughs> I just get yeah, two jobs yeah but you know so do you tend to sit there at weekends or I, I'm guessing you don't have any time in the evenings because I know uh how demanding mm. teaching is but do you do you just sit there and say I have to get a thousand words done or um mm. are you are you a kind of a little bit kinder to yourself and you kind of write when you when you kind of are ready to write or do you yeah. not have the opportunity no I'm trying to be really disciplined uh but I also know that for example um the summer term is easier because it's a bit lighter um I teach in a secondary school so I kind of usually lose a couple of exam classes the days are longer, um, so I know I can get more done in the summer term. So between Easter and kind of October is better. Um, so I'm more, I'm tougher on myself at that at that time. Mm. Um, in the winter, sometimes I mean it depends what stage you are at the at uh, in the process. Really, it's quite difficult. But in the winter, it's really really hard to write after after work. So I might do it, but again, I might have the time to do it in theory. But it's that availability that emotion emotional yeah. kind of um bucket that is empty <laughs> often yeah so it's quite hard but it it helps to be quite disciplined um and it helps to kind of take the pressure off in terms of that first draft and just kind of trying to get the words out um but yeah it's you know it's like when you you have a hobby that you really really love that is your passion and it turns into your job suddenly it just comes with all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of um of changes in terms of the way you approach it and it just becomes slightly less enjoyable at times mm-hmm. but when it works it's still worth it i think yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom a mother figure or yourself as a mom find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So can you talk us through your journey from um, writing this book and beginning this book? And then I know you 
had a period of time on the Curtis Brown creative course. Mm-hmm. How did you go from the early stages of this book to getting your agent? Yeah, so um, I tried to get on the Curtis Brown course with my previous uh, book, The One Set in Iceland. That was really, really dark. <laughs> and I didn't work out. Um, and I was really, I, I had set my mind on, I want to do this seriously now. And that course seems perfect for me to get to know the industry, to kind of um, meet some some like-minded writers. So I kind of started writing this book, um, One Last Chance, Um and I sent my opening, my first 10,000 words, I think, in, and I got selected. So it was quite quick in terms of beginning to write the book, getting on the course. Um, and it was a three-month course. Um, and it was absolutely amazing. Um, so I kind of kept writing and I used the momentum from the course, uh, which also coincided. I think our end of course drinks with agents was literally a week before lockdown or two weeks wow. before the first lockdown. So that was March 2019. Mm. So suddenly the whole world was kind of upside down. Um, but I also find myself with not having to commute into work, even if I was still teaching a full time table from my computer, because my school was doing um, all the lessons were kind of online face to face. So um, it destroyed my eyes and my, and my back, I have to say that that period. But I think it gave me a little bit more of that that time in the day um, to kind of finish the draft, um, send it to, to a few people. And by the end of the summer, um, I was ready to, to send um, my draft to people. Um, was it that year or am I getting a little bit too quick? I think you must, you might've been the summer after, sorry. So a whole year of kind of lockdowns on and off and I managed to finish my, my first draft to do a couple of kind of better readers um uh, rounds and kind of edited the best I could and just start submitting it I think I submitted to about 25 agents um and then I got uh it took about six months so I think between September and January until I got um I got a few kind of full uh, manuscript requests that didn't really um lead to anything but eventually I had three offers of representation and I signed with my amazing agent was um, Olivia Maidment at uh, Madeleine Milburn and she's absolutely fantastic so I'm really pleased with my choice uh, but yeah it, it was quite a, a kind of business-like process of sending those emails getting those uh, rejections and getting a couple of enough interest that I kind of thought I had maybe something going but yeah it was it was slow in some aspect and, and quick in some others mm. yeah and you've got quite I, I don't know whether it's unique actually because I've seen it happen a few times that your title in the US and the title in the UK are different uh do you know kind of do you know the kind of discussions that happened about that or did they tell you why they were changing the title I think so I wasn't completely privy to the discussions I think that was mainly my agent discussing with the both editors but they just couldn't agree on 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 the titles, I think, um, as I understand it, the UK wanted something a bit more kind of wistful and a bit more melancholy, one last chance, you know, that idea of kind of trying to get it right one last time. Yeah. Uh, whereas the US wanted something a bit more positive and upbeat with five <laughs> first chances. You can get your first chance five times. Um, I really like both titles. I think it's just been a little bit confusing, I think, for some readers to... Um, to know whether it's the same book or not. Um, I got a former student of mine who contacted me recently and said, which book is it? It's the same <laughs> one. <laughs> um, so that that was a shame in terms of that kind of clean marketing line and kind of benef- yeah, having the benefits of, of both marketing campaigns for the same book. But actually it's, it's worked out really well and, and both editors did a, a really good job on it. Mm. What was your experience like with working with a US and a UK editor? Did they work on the book together or was it was it kind of done and then it got sent to the US? What was the yeah. process there? It was done with the UK and then was sent to the US. Um, mm. And then she wanted to do, so MJ wanted to do more changes on, especially the, I was talking, I think earlier about the making sure that the there's a really clear chain of, cause and consequences in terms of the decisions and where Lou finds herself or decides to the choices she makes um so there was a little bit of tweaking done but I think it, it was 
it was quite a, a quick round of edits, if I'm really honest with you, um, compared to what I'm going through on, on book two. <laughs> it was really <laughs> quick. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting because she picked up on things that um, my um, UK editor hadn't and the other way around. But then uh, the UK was really, really happy to go with the same changes. So it's basically the same version, except for American spellings and a few kind of different tweaks that the both copy editors made. Uh, the content is the same. And I'm really pleased that I went with the same same edits in, in the end. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was a lot of rounds of edits for me. <laughs> So when it comes to your experience of being published and the whole kind of publishing journey, um, we hear a lot and particularly the conversation at the moment seems to be talking a lot about the general kind of ups and downs of being a first time author and a, and a debut novelist. What would your advice be to next year's cohort about how to cope with or deal with the kind of general roller coaster experience of being published gosh I don't know how long we have <laughs> it's, um, as long as you want Sarah um it's been I mean it, it's been really hard it's been amazing but it's been really hard um and I think it, you can't take the amazing away from the hard and the hard away from the amazing it's just both sides of the of the same coin um I mean like my protagonist I do suffer from anxiety which is quite mild and manageable but still can flare up quite a lot so I think finding yourself we were talking earlier about a position of being out of control and kind of releasing something that is really personal to you into the world and starting getting you know reviews and reactions it's a really difficult process to get through and you have to you have to toughen up a, a little bit but I think the main advice I would give would be to to really try and understand how you work not necessarily your process because I don't understand my process yet and I hope I will one day but I don't at the moment but maybe understand what triggers you to feel really anxious or to feel really high or to feel really low and try and really manage manage your expectations of the whole thing give yourself the right boundaries as well um, for example we were talking as well um, before we started recording about you know how much social media you should be doing how, how proactive you should be um, and full-time job or not everybody has other things in their life and I think it could be a full-time job that you just manage your social media you kind of interact with with readers I think it's really important that you decide with yourself what, what is reasonable uh, for you to do what you're prepared to to give to that aspect of things and that you don't kind of burn yourself out with that and not have anything left for the writing um, you keep your writing at the at the center of what you're doing um, I think comparing yourself to other writers is really easy to do and really difficult as well. So I think always, I always like to remind myself of that idea of, you know, scarcity mindset and and just avoid thinking down the lines of, um, you know, if, if they're doing really, really well, that means there's less chance of me doing well. It's just, it's an easy thing to do. And I know a lot of people are really open and talking about jealousy. It's, it's quite human to think because your experience will not be, there's mm. always going to be a lot of people who will be more immediately successful than you. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's about you and your own journey and your own enjoyment of what, of what you're doing and kind of thinking, keep thinking about what is really important and why you're doing what you're doing. You're not doing it for the Netflix deal. You're doing it because, you know, you have something to say or you're enjoying just sitting down and, and writing worlds and, and characters or you're, using it to connect with other people and to kind of leave a, a little mark on, on the world. So I think that's just kind of trying to shut down the, the noise a little bit. Mm. Practicing some kind of writer mindfulness is really good, but obviously there's ups and downs and it's quite difficult to do sometimes. Yeah. yeah, those boundaries are important, I think. Social media, just shut it down if it's starting to make you feel sad and then go back once you're feeling more kind of able to celebrate everybody's successes with them, which is the way it should be. It's funny how just seeing one thing can make you, I don't know, doubt yourself or I roll a bit. <laughs> yeah. Or you, you, you know, you're suddenly jealous or you're suddenly thinking, yeah. am I doing it wrong? Am I, am I not doing enough? And it can literally be a one post on Twitter or Instagram or anything. And you just yeah. suddenly are thrown into this. I had something happen last week, which I texted one of my friends about. And I was like, 
this is never gonna be me and I'm never gonna and yeah. it did have to give me a good stern talking to um so yeah <laughs> it can happen it can happen yeah. but I think yeah like you say it's 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of work that we have to do to kind of keep our heads mm. out of that side of it and it's easier said than done but the yeah. more that we can stay focused on the writing and the work and the actual the reason why we're all here is is yeah. is the key to it all really and just reminding ourselves that it's you know it's an amazing achievement to have put mm. our words into the world and to have people reading them um but i think it's so fundamentally human to feel like that that it's not about beating yourself up about it either uh but it's it's giving yourself permission to step out sometimes and just really keep checking in with yourself uh when you get into those um those spirals that I think is is really important um and you never know you know the next day can bring the big news that you want you know the next book you write might be mm. the the big one or you know it's um yeah I think defining success is a really important thing as well like what does success look like to you um and I know I've listened to to a lot of your podcasts and there's a lot of authors talking about the moving goalposts of writing you know if only I had an agent if only I had the book deal if only I had an American book deal <laughs> and all of that and it's and on and on and on and on yeah. yeah so easy to get caught up in it when actually yeah. the the only thing you've you can do is to be as authentic as you can and to put your words on paper and do the best you can for yourself and for whoever will pick it up um and I think that's yeah easier yeah. said than done sometimes but that's what needs to happen yeah, absolutely. So you've sort of hinted already that it's been a bit of a struggle, but finally, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about book two? What are you working <laughs> on at the moment? Yeah, um, so book two is going to be a little bit different. I think it's still um, contemporary fiction, uh, still about a woman um, who um, there is a, a little bit of a speculative element as well. So it's somebody who um, is what I would call an, an art empath, maybe. She can um, access um, works of art and kind of tap into the emotions of the, the artist who's made them. Um, and she's called to authenticate uh, works by a very an artist who's very personal to her in a, in a big castle in, in Brittany, in France. Um, so I mainly set the book there because I wanted to have an excuse to go and do some research <laughs> on the <laughs> on the terrain. So I had a lovely week in uh, in Brittany uh, this summer, which was amazing, visiting a lot of castles and kind of immersing myself into the Arthurian legends of the place and and all the fairy stories and everything. So that was great. But yeah, she she just realizes that there's something that might not be uh, what it um, seems. But she's also struggling with burnout, so she's not really a able to access her gift as as much as she would like so it's kind of her trying to sort out the the fact from the fiction and and thinking about what her values ought to be in the in this um world of art so that's where I'm at but um I've just done a, a whole rewrite where I had to ask myself some really really hard questions about the plot and the motivation of my character um and um yeah it hasn't been a straightforward process I think I've had to rewrite the whole thing probably about four times so far and it feels like a first draft now, so now I'm ready for proper <laughs> proper edits again. Um, but yeah, if, if all is well, it, it should come out uh, in the US um, kind of late autumn or, or late next year, fingers crossed. Mm. Um, yeah. And you have a slightly different situation in that your, your book has, how can I work this, so you're, you have a two book deal in the US and in yeah. the UK you have a one book deal, so once yeah. the book is done you'll then have to, it will be out in America, but you'll have to go back on submission in the UK to make, just to yeah. make it even more complicated. Yeah, because <laughs> us writers love being on submission. Yes. You know, we love kind of refreshing emails every five yeah. minutes, <laughs> jumping every time the phone call and it's always, you know, somebody from your family. Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just when um, you're waiting for that all yeah, important call, yeah. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> that empty phone screen. But um. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I find I find it actually quite exciting, but you know we'll we'll just see what happens. I know I'm going to carry on writing anyway, so um, I've got a few ideas for the next books. I'm not really physically ready <laughs> to to throw myself into book three, but I know it will 
happen at some point. So, you know, whatever happens in terms of submission happens. It was mm. the book I really, really wanted to to write. Um, and I'm really pleased that I'm working on it with my amazing um, US editor. And uh, we'll see what the fi final finished product looks like. But um, yeah, I hope it will all work out, obviously. But we'll see. Yeah, it sounds really exciting. And I think often the books that come from people's hearts are, are the ones that have a uh, mm. a deeper deeper meaning and a, and a yeah. deeper resonance for us that often the ones that kind of touch readers as well so um yeah. I wish you good luck in the UK with it Sarah but thank you very thank much you so much for joining me on the podcast today thank you so much for having me thank you that was Sarah Yost talking about her contemporary novel One Last Chance which is out now and available to buy and if you'd like to support this podcast debut authors and independent bookshops you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.